I'm Megan Bob, and I'm here to understand the mysteries of wrestling. And I'm Miles, and I'm here to help with the aid of my favorite wrestling show. This is The Next Wrestling Fan, an NXT review podcast for would-be wrestling fans who don't know where to start. And current wrestling fans who want to relive the magic of that first time. This week... We get a little bit of a challenge from the episode of NXT that originally aired on March 13th, 2014. But let's be honest, it never had a chance against us. (laughs) Which is exactly how every match on this episode goes. Yep. Welcome to episode 43 of The Next Wrestling Fan, a podcast of fights and feels. Last time on this show, Charlotte beat Emma by cheating, Corey Graves started some shit with Sami Zayn and immediately regretted it, and most importantly, we were introduced to Adam Rose, also known as Leo Kruger, after an existential crisis transformed him into Russell Brand before he got clean. Sadly, we do not get more Adam Rose this week, and there's really not a ton in the way of story advancement. We do get five wrestling matches that all do basically the same thing. So, you know, that's not boring at all. I really hope Bob liked this episode more than I did. (laughs) And we'll find out when we get to Bob's breakdown. We will also give some shine to the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling and talk a little bit about wrestling hierarchies during wrestling term of the week before finally hitting our finisher, the cheap pop quiz. Yeah. But first, let's take a look at how last episode's cheap pop quiz went for Megan Bob, who is still rolling with four points here Mm -hmm. in the fifth round of quizzing. Let's see if they got any more. Question number one. We don't really get a change on the commentary team for the next episode, but we do get the announcement that Tensai, who has recently retired from in-ring competition, will not be using the name Tensai anymore, but rather going back to one of his many previous wrestling names. Which one has he decided to go with? Is it A, Jason Albert, B, Prince Albert, C, A-Train, D, Giant Bernard, or E, Baldo? (laughs) Um, Bob, you were close, but your instincts led you in the direction of Prince Albert. Yeah, I live in hope. (laughs) When in fact it was Jason Albert, so that's an incorrect (sighs) one there. It's the name a coward would choose, Tenzai, a coward. (laughs) Question number two. Next episode finds Bailey backstage in a segment that also includes Natalia and the BFFs. What is Bailey doing when the segment begins? A. Just hanging out with Natalia and getting ready for their upcoming tag team match. B. Dressing up like Natalia. C. Dressing up like Natalia's uncle, Bret Hart. D. Playing with Natalia and Bret Hart action figures. Or E. Watching old Bret Hart matches on the brand new WWE Network. Bob, you went with uh, the action figures. That was so foolish of me. What was I thinking? I I don't know. It makes sense. They've been pushing the network so hard. I should have thought about the capitalist machine that is WWE and (laughs) and considered that might be a factor. Yeah, I was actually pleasantly surprised when you missed that one. The correct answer was E, watching old Bret Hart matches on the brand new WWE network. (laughs) 
And question number three, finally on the next episode, the Ascension are back in action. After their dominant victory over Too Cool at NXT Arrival, what new team do they have in store for them? Is it A, yet another pair of random jobbers? <laughs> because time is a flat circle. <laughs> in case you're wondering, that one was correct. Ah. Uh. B, Enzo Amore and Colin Cassidy. C, Aiden English and his new tag team partner, who you're meeting for the first time. D, Sylvester Laforte and his new tag team partner, who you've seen as a jobber once or twice. Or E, two members of the Rosebuds. Uh, Bob, you went with Aiden English and his new tag team partner. I'm not saying that's never going to happen. Mm-hmm. I am saying that it didn't happen this time. Yeah. Uh, because it's just more jobbers. It's jobbers all the way down. It's jobbers all the way down. All right, Bob. Well, uh, you have been skunked again. I have. Uh, you got me. It's been a little while. It's been a little while since you picked up points. I'm doing a good job with this one. Yeah, you um, are. Plenty of time, Bob. Plenty of time left to get to 10 points, to get to 15 points. I'm sorry. Yeah. To get to 15 points to get a bonus episode where we read a romance novel with a guest. The delay is making this all the more sweet whenever I get to that, that elusive 15 points. It's going to feel so good. It is. <laughs> you know what I think would feel good to our listeners, Bob? What? Is if we got into Bob's breakdown. All right. I'm still not loving this new intro music. I don't know how long it's going to take me to start loving it. I hope that happens. Yeah. I fear <laughs> it may never happen. <laughs> I don't know. So we start off in just straight into a match. Our little werewolf, Paige, comes out mm -hmm. in her new gothy purple ring gear. And Sasha Banks, accompanied by Charlotte, and for reasons that are unclear, the little Summer Rae had on a popsicle stick. Yep. Miles, is Summer Rae already at the main roster? Why the face on a popsicle stick? Yeah, she actually has been. Uh, she's been playing the role of Fandango's dance partner on the main roster, mm -hmm. um, which hasn't translated into very much or I think any wrestling. But she has been up there and she is kind of transitioning. It's like they're trying to have it both ways and sort of have Summer Rae move up but not lose her for NXT and their way of splitting <laughs> the difference is to go, somebody in a back room went, but we have pictures of Summer Rae. Right. I mean, can't we just put a picture of Summer Rae on a popsicle stick and call that good? And somebody went, you're a genius, Fred. I think what's happening is they're trying to figure out how to like write her out of storylines, but she's not there, clearly. So the Summer on a Stick is literally a placeholder. Well, OK, far be it for me, I guess, to cast stones at lazy writing. So <laughs> I, I guess I'll rescind my. How dare you? How I dare you? Your writing is not lazy. Thank you. Thank you for being unable to see where I've hot glued it together. The bell goes and Paige is just hurling Sasha from corner to corner. Sasha takes control and the ratchet chant starts. Mm. Don't be garbage, NXT Universe. You're being garbage. Seriously. And Sasha gets Paige in the corner, hoists herself above her on the ropes and does furious little foot stompies onto Paige's back. Sasha uses an elbow lock a couple of times. It's where your arms are crossed <laughs> and your hands are grabbed and pulled behind you. So you're choking on your own elbows. Is that yeah, it's like you lock? do with kids. <laughs> Look, I was an educator. I worked with kids. You don't know how many times I have gotten children into that hold. 
<laughs> what does that hold? Is it an elbow lock? It's definitely not called an elbow lock. I don't know that it has a name. I'm okay. I'm sure that it has a name. Okay. I just wonder. What that name I, is? I don't know. It's choking on your elbows. Yeah. I like think of it as like a straight jacket type thing, you know? Oh, yeah. Very. Okay. Yeah. So Paige gets back in the game, wipes Sasha out with a clothesline and slowly gets Sasha into that modified scorpion cross lock. So Sasha is dangling painfully from Paige's arm like a purse. If purses looked like they wanted to scream. <laughs> Tap out. Paige wins. Charlotte storms the ring to kick the shit out of Paige. And then Natalia's music hits. And she runs to rescue Paige. And Natalia is like the bullying police. And I love it. She comforts Paige as Sasha and Charlotte head backstage in one another's arms. And there were a lot of sophic feels there. Yeah. And then backstage with Sammy. Sammy's just being genial and delightful. He's fine if Corey Graves runs his mouth. Corey Graves knows where to find Sammy. He's around. Being an actual living embodiment of charm. Yeah. Miles is Sammy Zayn, like in the top 10 most charming wrestlers of all time, because I struggle to imagine being more charmed. He has to be. I mean, I don't, especially NXT Sammy. It's a credit to him how good he is at doing heel shit. Yeah, when right? they ask him to be an annoying heel, he can be an annoying heel. But like when he's just being earnest like this, I can't think of a more charming wrestler. Honestly, I know I was I didn't want to say, is he the most charming in the entire yeah. universe? But I was like, I think he might be. I also love that he's wearing a rancid shirt. This is yes. not the first time that we're seeing Sammy wear band shirts. And like, it's so weird to me going back and watching and you would think it would be a thing that happened in wrestling all the time, but it's really yeah. not. Almost everyone in wrestling is always wearing like their own shirt or like yes. some other wrestling shirt, something wrestling related that's owned by the company. You almost never see a wrestler backstage wearing something that like tells you the kind of shit they like. Yeah. And I feel like it's a real missed opportunity in some ways. It is. It's a bummer. I would like more of that. They do. Bailey does a little bit of it, but not nearly enough. I would like much more of that. So backstage with Mojo Raleigh, he's pacing the locker room like a dog that is convinced he's going to get to go outside any second now. (laughs) He has nothing to say except that his hypeness is both powerful and unflagging. Noted. (laughs) So now we're at tag team action. Miles. From the front lines of tag team action. <laughs> yeah. You'll never guess what happened this time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Who is here to get fed to these guys? It's Travis Tyler and Cal Bishop. That's right. Calabunga, as it says on his tights. Oh my God. The last time we saw Travis Tyler was in episode 25 of this very podcast. At the time, he was wearing a singlet with a snow-capped peak on the butt. Oh yeah, that was him. Tragically, not wearing that singlet now. So bummer. It's just butt watch update. It just says T and T on his briefs. Yeah, it's definitely a downgrade. Yeah. And friends, at this point, I don't think you need me to tell you that the match takes two minutes and ends with the fall of man and someone pinned by the Ascension for the win. Travis Tyler is the fall guy this go around. So there you go. Yeah, that's just fucking hilarious. My favorite thing about it, aside from the fact that the crowd is just like so into chanting yaw at Connor, they are. is that 
the Ascension come to the ring and the jobbers aren't in the ring yet. So I was like, oh, is this going to be one of these matches where like the jobbers get an entrance? But no, they don't get an entrance. They just casually walk out to the ring <laughs> while the camera is still in the Ascension. Like the Ascension does their entrance. They're in the ring doing their stuff. And at the bottom of the screen, you could just see like the tops oh. of their heads as they come down to ringside. Ouch. No music, no theme. And they're not even already in the ring. No, it's that announcement of who they are nothing oof the pain Ugh. of that but we do get this fun little ad for the network and a graphic <laughs> pops up and reads if you watch one hour per day of wwe video on demand content it would take you over three and a half years to watch it all so i did the math it's 182 uh-huh. hours roughly miles i then went and did some digging to find out okay. what the current numbers are because i was curious yeah as of their deal with peacock Right. There are over 17,000 hours of content, and at wow. a rate of one hour of WWE per day, it would take 46 and a half years to watch it all. Okay. And now we get Mason Riot, and Renee is yeah. on commentary for this match. Yeah, for her first time on commentary, that's not a women's match. Yeah, I was super stoked about that. And my Welsh pony is going to wrestle Wesley Blake, who is a, quote, real cowboy, unquote. And (laughs) Renee asks, is there such a thing as a fake cowboy? And I was just like, yeah, that's how you know someone is what they say they are. You know, like how doctors always say, yes, I'm a real doctor whenever they introduce (laughs) themselves. And the other thing that I kept wondering was, how would being a real cowboy help you in wrestling any more than being a fake cowboy would? I didn't. Well. Well, I didn't think about being a cowboy in terms of like, well, obviously this cowboy has a lot of skills that will translate in the ring in the way that this con artist cowboy could never imagine. I mean, he's a cowboy. Uh-huh. He's in the ring against a horse. Okay. Right? All like, right. He is All against right. a pony. I would think that like, at least in this specific case, being a cowboy might not like give you an inherent advantage, you know, but like, look at Adam Page. I mean, that dude has a real horse that he rides around on. It's like, true. That's, that can be an advantage in the spring stampede. That was an advantage. <laughs> I don't know. man. That I think cowboys. Stupid match. There's a long history of cowboys thriving in wrestling. I think there might be something to it. Okay. You know much of wrestling history that I am unaware of. <laughs> Perhaps that is the true secret. Dusty Rhodes wore cowboy boots, and as I hear, he, he was quite well received by the wrestling public. He was, indeed. So, the crowd is chanting better than Batista. Yes. Ouch. Not true in this case. In the case of <laughs> in the case of Emma's powerbomb, I'm prepared to hear the argument. In the case of Mason Ryan and Batista, no, I'm sorry. So I have a question. Are wrestling chants like the fossil record of wrestling? Like, can you tell where you are in the geological strata of wrestling history because of a chant? Oh, totally. Like, if people are chanting better than Batista, then you know you're definitely in like late 2013, early 2014, when Batista had just come back, won the the Royal Rumble, everybody was mad about it because he was going to be in the main event of WrestleMania and people didn't want to see him in the main event of WrestleMania 30. They wanted Daniel Bryan in the main event of WrestleMania 30. You know, some chants recur and repeat and you could hear different variations on them or they come back, you know, throughout history. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if a crowd starts chanting, holy shit, or, you know, or this is awesome or whatever, you know, these chants, you can't exactly tell exactly where you are in wrestling history. But mm-hmm. with some of them like this one, it's like, oh, yes, this must be early 2014. <laughs> 
So Ryan and Blake knock around and it's kind of just a lot of big dudes doing big stuff. And that's fun. Big meaty men slapping meat. Yeah, exactly. Mason Ryan has Blake in his arm and uh, just drives him into the mat. And then later Blake is in the corner and Ryan is going to go for him and Blake dodges. So Ryan careens through the ropes and his shoulder just smacks that ring post. And to their credit, they look like they do actually injure one another because they are big enough to make it look like, oh, that guy totally got me. So I was like, yeah. okay, this is satisfying yeah. to watch. This and is not Blake actually like got to get some shit in. You know, he didn't yeah. just get smashed. And Blake starts grinding into Ryan for a few seconds and the crowd rallies around Mason Ryan, which is how it should always be. <laughs> and my Welsh punny does that thing where he's behind his opponent, sort of Titanic style, if you know what I yes. mean. Yes, yes. And then lifts them up and throws them down back first to the mat and he pins Blake for the win. And I think this might be the longest Mason Ryan match we've gotten in maybe ever. It might be. I want to say I checked Bleacher Report of 2014 and they gave this match an F and they weren't wrong, <laughs> but it was still really nice to see my pony lad. And I was very happy about that. An F is a little bit strong. <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe Bleacher Report had a real axe to grind about it. I don't know. They didn't show me what the rubric looked like. Do you know what I mean? The biggest problem to me with this match is like, what are we doing? Yeah. Like, what's what's Mason Ryan doing? And it doesn't seem like he's doing anything. And he's up against somebody else who's not doing anything because Wesley Blake at this point is still basically a jobber. So I would think that F probably came less from the actual quality of what they were doing and more from, like, the fact that it's very unclear why this is even happening, you know, from a story perspective. I agree. I think the match has zero stakes, except for yeah. me personally enjoying yeah. Mason Ryan. So this is a match just for me. So backstage, Bailey is on a tablet watching the WWE Network. Bailey's watching a Bret Hart match right now. And the BFFs come by to talk shit about Bret Hart because he has stringy hair and is mostly famous for a match he lost. And I don't know anything about Bret Hart. So I was like, okay. And no, then, that last part's not true, incidentally. That seemed wrong to me, but I didn't have anything else to go on. I was like, well, Charlotte wouldn't lie to me about this, would she? I mean, he did lose a very famous match, but that is not the only thing Bret Hart is known for. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Then uh, they throw it to their head on a stick, Summer Rae, for some that's inscrutable right. reason. Like, <laughs> what does Summer Rae have to say about this? Bailey grabs it and asks this popsicle stick face mask thing why Summer isn't here. And then Bailey says, Because I think they're ugly. They smell like cheese. <laughs> and if you were to get in the ring with Sasha, you'd win. Ha ha, nighty night, Sasha. And the BFFs look scandalized. Natalia, who is like the straight man in every scene she's in, comes along and says she loves this little popsicle face. And there's some additional shit talking. There's some tying it back to Bret Hart winning the title off of Ric Flair. And then legacy shenanigans where Natalia is going like, yeah, Bret Hart, my uncle, right? Yes, it is her okay. uncle. And Charlotte being like, and my dad, Ric Flair. So yay, Charlotte and Natty are probably going to fight. I thought this was super helpful. I appreciate that the WWE, for all their many, <laughs> frankly, innumerable faults, they make an effort to try and treat every episode like it could be somebody's first episode in some yeah. sense. And yeah. they don't assume that you have been watching wrestling since the 70s and know everything there is. 
I appreciate that and that they bothered to give me a clear backstory that helped me contextualize why this was anything. So we've said a nice thing. And now, fuck you, WWE. <laughs> fuck you every day from sunup to sundown until the end of time. Yeah. You're terrible and I hate you because <laughs> Xavier Woods doesn't deserve this. Stop pushing Rusev and pushing Rusev exclusively by having him beat up the one black man on your roster repeatedly. <sighs> okay. Woods is in the ring. Everything's fine so far. And then Tyler Breeze shows up. And I was like, wait a second. I thought Woods was supposed to fight Rusev and I was going to be mad about that. But Tyler Breeze has a bone to pick because he's like, no, I want to fight Rusev. I'm here to do this. And he asks Woods to kindly leave. Kindly leave is what he says. And it's tremendous. I had a lot of positive Tyler Breeze feelings in that moment just because he said kindly. (laughs) And then Lana shows up, introduces Rusev, and then fucking Tyler Breeze, that little shit, takes that distraction as an opportunity to kick the fuck out of Woods and run away. So Woods is going like, no, no, I can still take Rusev. And I'm going, you weren't going to win anyway. This is a fixed (laughs) match. This is terrible. It goes exactly the way you think it's going to go. A lot of Muay Thai kicking and a brief moment where it looks like Woods might win. And I was like, no, I will not let my heart hope anymore. You have killed me, WWE. And then the accolade and a tap out. So yeah, fuck off, WWE, you piece of shit. And then backstage, Adrian is about to be interviewed. And then Bo Dallas, regular human man from Earth. Indeed. He's distraught at not being champion anymore, and he can't wait to face Neville so that this nightmare can be over. And Bo Dallas says he's sick of Neville and that Neville is out of his league and then just slap to the face from Neville. And the promo ends with the two of them looking at each other's faces. And now the match that I am not sure who asked for. (laughs) It's the main event, Colin Cassidy versus Bo Dallas. I don't have a problem with this match. Cassidy starts taking Dallas to the mat and follows it up with these three enormous elbow drops. Bo goes to the outside to think it over. And when he comes back in, he grounds Cassidy and delivers some knees to the side. Dallas is working hard to keep Cassidy on the mat. And this is, I want to say, maybe one of the better matches I've seen from Cassidy. Yeah. The crowd starts chanting tidy whities because Bo's white briefs are his ring gear this time. Dallas struggles to deal with the size advantage that Cass has. Cass has no problem getting Dallas up on his shoulder so he can slam Dallas to the mat. Or it would have been a slam if they'd been going at regular speed. But when you actually watch it, it looks like Cass is just setting him down gently on the mat. And it's it's very (laughs) charming. Bo escapes to the outside for some thoughtful loitering while he considers strategy. Cass wants to get to him, though, and this smile appears on Dallas's face like, oh, I've got your number now, Cass. And he beans Cass on the top rope, gets Cass down on the mat, and it's just a knee and elbow driven beat down of big Cass. And he manages to keep Cass from getting to a vertical base. The crowd starts chanting, Bo ring. And one lone fevered female scream echoes through the building. So he does have a fan in the house. Good job, He's Bo. That one, yeah. She's here for him. She is ride or die for Bo Dallas. I want to meet that woman. Doesn't she it sounds feel like she's inspiring. here every time? 
Yeah, I think she does. I think she comes every time. And I think she deserves more credit, frankly. Yeah, like, I agree. Fucking WWE, you do a documentary on everything. I want a documentary on this one woman who was a Bo <laughs> Dallas fan whenever no one else gave a shit about Bo <laughs> Dallas. WWE 24, that one lady who liked Bo Dallas. <laughs> I would watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I would watch it before they want to tell me about, like, I don't know, the big show or whatever. I want to know about that one lady who was there for Bo Dallas. Cass battles back and is able to floor Dallas and then keeps beating him back to the floor each time he pops back up, including one of those incredible kicks. It's not even really a kick. It is Cass just raising his leg vertical and yeah, it gets yeah. Dallas right in the head. And I love it every time Cass does it because it's just... They usually call that a big boot in wrestling. A big boot. That's just fun to say. Dallas uses the ring to his advantage again, bonks Cass's head against the ropes, and delivers a DDT to this stunned Cass, laying him out for the pin. And I think watching this, I might have realized something. This could be a very stupid question, Miles. Sure. Is Bo Dallas good at wrestling? Because I think he might be very good at wrestling. I think he is. Bo Dallas, to me, feels like one of those guys that kind of needs certain circumstances to succeed. I think his problem, especially when he eventually goes to the main roster, Um. is that he's very good at comedy, but he's best when his comedy is mixed with this sort of like edge of like weird aberrational menace that he's got going on. Uh Uh-huh. I was going back and looking at some reviews of this show in preparation to do this episode, and a lot of people didn't like this match. I thought it was uh, kind of good. I really liked it. I get why people didn't like it, especially at the time. It felt less innovative and more like kind of standard WWE fare. Mm -hmm. Um, It is a rather long match that is mostly, that mostly involves Dallas beating up Cass and Cass kind of being the the baby face getting his ass kicked until it's time for the comeback, which then gets stopped in Dallas wins anyway, which is, as I said, the sort of the trend for this show. But I really like this match because I thought Dallas was really effective. Like, I thought it was really compelling yeah. to watch him be like, all right, yes, I'm a funny, weird guy. Ha ha. I'm weird and funny. And hey, look, it's time for me to kill this guy. And yes, I know that he's bigger than me. I'm still going to kill him. And I'm going to spend the entire match killing him because I am actually really good at this. I think that's like a super effective version of Bo. And I have so much more affection for this era of Bo Dallas than I did before going back and watching these matches because I just think he does really good work. I agree. I thought it was actual storytelling on the match level, not on the narrative level of the product as a whole. It was match narrative. It definitely painted the picture that Bo Dallas realizes he cannot win in the ways that he would normally win. He has to use his environment, but also is not going to cheat for this one for some reason, because it's mm-hmm. not a championship on the line. So he's not going to go to those lengths for whatever reason. But I it painted like him as canny. To, it's, just, yeah. it's just Cass, you know? I just had a moment as I was rewatching it going, oh shit, he's actually very good. But yeah. also he's good at the kind of wrestling that I don't necessarily love. Mm-hmm. So... I can appreciate it, but it would be like somebody made the best version of like bolognese in the world. And I'm like, well, it's not my favorite, but it's a very, very good version of the thing that I I wouldn't necessarily order off the menu. Yeah. And I think the reason you can tell that 
Dallas is good at wrestling is because he takes a match like this one where it's like this slow, methodical heel beatdown of a face with a brief comeback that just ends in the heel winning anyway. Like, that's not the easiest match to no. do well, to, like, make exciting and make a quality thing. Like, it's not yeah. you're not given a lot to work with with that format. But I just think he really does a good job. And I was actually like it was the most compelled I had been over the course of the episode. Cause I was like, really, I found my attention sliding off this one a lot. When, <laughs> yeah. when we got to Dallas and Cass, I was like, just kind of fascinated watching him slowly take this guy apart. You know, I am shocked to say that a Bo Dallas match carried this episode in ways that I don't think WWE knew was going to be the case. Talked a little bit about you know how we feel about various parts of this episode. Thank you so much for that breakdown, by the way. Yeah. Um, what did you think as a whole? I know that you know as as I've said, I was not the biggest fan, although I did enjoy the main event a lot. This episode had two actual matches and three jalapeno popper matches, where it's just mm-hmm. there to take your mind off the fact that you're waiting for your food. And you know, for that, for that kind of thing, yeah, it was pretty fun. Like the only thing I hated was Rusev versus Woods. Everything else at least had a little something that I found charming and fun. So I probably would give it like six out of ten. All right. I think it'll take that. It'll take that. Well, why don't we uh, judge some other parts of this episode? The things we saw, the things we heard, maybe the things we felt. Mm. It is now time for the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. So, Megan Bob, for this episode, what did your elf eyes see? I would be remiss, derelict in my duties, if I did not say, but watch. But watch. Bo leave is what is on Bo Dallas's butt. Mm-hmm. And it is pretty great. It is the Disney font. It is kind of like gold. I think it might even have some fucking rhinestones on it. Yeah, I think so, yeah. It is a masterpiece. It's beautiful. We know canonically that he's been to Disneyland. Yeah! Had custom work done there, apparently. (laughs) He went up to the Disney armorers and... (laughs) Can you do me some wrestling underwears? (laughs) They were like, hey man, this is Disneyland. For the right price, we'll do goddamn anything. (laughs) He didn't just get trunks printed with the Disney font. He went to Disneyland and, like, got it straight from the source, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Miles, what did your elf I see? Just a weird thing that I noticed in the first match with Sasha and Paige, which was good. Uh, I thought that it was, you know, as you said, there were two good matches. There was the first one and the last one, and there was kind of a bunch of mush in the middle of this one. There was this really weird moment where Sasha and Paige were fighting in the corner. Paige tried to do a move and Sasha like countered it and she countered it and threw Paige's leg like through the ropes so that Paige is kind of like straddling the turnbuckle. Right. Mm -hmm. And I've seen Sasha do that a million times. So I was watching this going like, oh, that's a setup for like her next thing, which is going to be like, you know, a backstabber or like something. She's going to grab Paige while she's got her back to her on the turnbuckle and like do some move. And it's going to be really cool because it always is. But Sasha doesn't have those moves yet. Oh, no. Like, she hasn't 
incorporated those into her arsenal. The only thing she really has as a sort of signature move that's not her finisher is that weird, like, flurry of slaps she does. Yeah. You can almost see her, like, do that counter, look at where Paige is positioned and kind of be like, Welp, and she just does the flurry of slaps <laughs> to her back because that's it's because it's a it's a place where you do your signature move. It's not your finisher, but the thing you do every match, and that's all she has for it. And I was oh, like, no. God damn it! I want. I think she's doing really good. I thought she was great I in this agree. match. I think Sasha is already even in these early days, like showing that she's going to be a phenomenal wrestler, but. God, I can't wait until she just like adds some more things to her repertoire. It's going to be yeah. fucking awesome. All right, Bob, what did your Vulcaneers hear? There was a lot of good shit in this one. There was a lot of good shit in this one. I can barely choose. I'm going to say thank goodness for my believers being there for me in this trying time. They are the <laughs> wind beneath my wings. <laughs> The mispronunciation of beneath as beneath <laughs> just fucking delights me. And I am so happy that Bo Dallas is the visionary that he is. He's like, <laughs> is it a slant rhyme for Bo? I will take it. Oh, that's glorious. Miles, what did your Vulcaneers hear? So you mentioned it a little bit earlier when you talked about they were asking if Wesley Blake was a real cowboy. Indeed. I just want to present a little bit more of that section of commentary. So first of all, it's Renee, Tom, and Tensai. We're all going back and forth on this. He calls himself a real cowboy from San Antonio, Texas. A real, real cowboy? Is there such a thing as a fake cowboy? I've never met a real cowboy. Renee says, if you go to the Calgary Stampede, you can meet one there. <laughs> and then they just kind of laugh for a second. And then somebody says, so he rides bulls, rides bulls, rides stallions, works on his truck, all the things you'd expect a cowboy to do. And then Renee is like, stallions? What do you mean stallions? And he's like, horses. I understand what a stallion is. Thank you. <laughs> and then there's like a little break where they talk about what's happening in the match and then Renee says Tom do you know anything about horses at all? And he's <laughs> like nope. Have you ever been to a farm? No I can't say I have. <laughs> and then Alex Riley Alex Riley who hasn't really said anything during this entire exchange just kind of quietly says Tom milked a cat once. <laughs> Just Alex Riley's personal headcanons <laughs> being aired for us. Alex Riley, I don't know that I take back every mean thing I've ever said about you, <laughs> but this is by far, this was your crowning achievement in wrestling. <laughs> if anybody ever asks, what's the best thing Alex Riley did in wrestling? Oh, God. You should say... On the March 13th, 2014 episode of NXT, <laughs> Alex Riley said Tom milked a cat once. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, so right. good. Bob, what did your human heart feel? You know, the crowd supporting Mason Ryan. Yeah. I don't care that he's not out here putting on five-star matches. He is a big, strong chonk who seems like a very nice guy, and that's enough for me. And I'm just very happy that Mason Ryan got to have that, even for one match. Miles, what did your human heart feel? 
I just really loved Natalia in this episode for some oh, reason. God, I don't, she was good. First of all, she came out and like defended Paige from the BFFs. And then they had the backstage segment with her and the BFFs and Bailey. And she shows up right after Bailey has the summer stick <laughs> and is going like, you all smell like cheese. <laughs> and like, it just felt so much like Sasha and Charlotte and Bailey are like kids like yes. squabbling. Like Bailey went outside to play and she ran into these two mean girls who are being mean to her. And then like her mom shows up. Yeah. And like the head mead girl who's got some fucking some confidence, like is ready to do this shit, starts like talking shit to her mom and like making fun of, of her dad and stuff like that. And then the mom just like comes in with like, well, Samantha, I happen to know that your father's fucking the mailman or something, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> Why aren't you writing, like, primetime <laughs> dramas? I want with the Miles primetime dramas. I could give a fuck about whatever. Like, I don't even know what's on it. Probably still Grey's Anatomy for some goddamn reason. <laughs> I felt it in my heart. I know Talia is just like, I'm going to be the mom to this entire women's division. And that means that all my babies are getting orange slices and you bitches don't get any orange slices. Because <laughs> <laughs> it really was, like, shutting them down because she's an adult. She's yeah. the adult in the room. I, I love know. Natalia. I don't say this lightly. Natalia has a little bit of daddy energy. It's true. Not a it's lot. It's really true. There's a little bit there. And you know what? Everybody feels it. Everybody knows it. All right. Well, those were the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. Uh, it is just about time for the wrestling term of the week. But first, we need to get Bob's fanfic explaining last episode's wrestling term of the week, which was Matt Wrestling. Bob, take it away. Octodad stood in the ring, <laughs> safe in the knowledge that he was an unparalleled Matt wrestler. He knew that no one could outgrapple him. And then Machomp appeared on the ramp. Oh, this will be a challenge. Four arms against two. We'll see what these Matt wrestling titans can do, the announcer said. He had eight arms, thank you, not two. No, no, two arms, two arms. Think two arms. Don't give up the ruse. You are a loving father and husband, not a secret octopus. <laughs> The bell sounded. Machomp cried, Machomp! And charged, locking Octodad into a collar and elbow tie-up. Octodad centered himself. He couldn't do a suplex to save his life, but Matt wrestling, the grapples, the holds, and the counter holds, this he could do. They went hold for hold, trading standing grapples back and forth as the audience hissed and gasped. Machomp got him down on the mat with a low sweep and into a cross face, all four hands across his face. Octodad oh, no. slorped out of it. How did he get out of that one? The announcer cried. Ha! Octodad thought to himself, nothing can stop me. I can fit my whole body into a pickle jar if I had to. Nothing can hold back an octopus. No, wait, Dad! I'm a dad! Dads don't fit into pickle jars! He slipped his head back into the crossface. Mm. Machop! Machop asked in confusion but reapplied the hold. Octodad thought for a second and then leveraged his tentacles and broke the hold, moving Machomp into an armbar. Ooh, I don't think he's thought this one through. Four arms, the announcer said. Octodad wrapped an additional tentacle around with Machomp's free arms. Wait, what's that? Is that a another arm? An announcer asked. Octodad withdrew it immediately. He needed to maintain his cover at all costs. Scarlet, his wife, was in the audience. Fujimoto was probably in the press tonight, too. That would just be his luck. Oh, eh, it's gone now. Probably a trick of the light, the announcer <laughs> muttered. 
That distraction was the opening Machop needed to get Octodad into a sleeper hold. He could get out of it easily. But would a dad get out of it? Would a loving father and husband and someone who was definitely not secretly an octopus be able to escape? He felt the struggle to breathe and his eyes going heavy. He couldn't lift his tentacles. No arms! As the ref lifted and dropped a limb three times, the bell sounded and Machamp had won. And Machamp takes it, the announcer cried. Ah, uh, you feel sorry for his opponent, you know? Sometimes that amateur wrestling background is useful and it makes a difference in mat wrestling. But going up against an opponent with a size and strength advantage like Machamp has? Well, there are limits to what you can do in a fight against that. Octodad gasped for air as the hold was released. He'd lost, but his secret was safe. He would live to dad another day. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> it's the stupidest one I've ever done. It's, I'm crying. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Octodad is truly the gift that keeps on giving. Oh, man. Um, oh. Thank you to Zadkiel Vaskihuff for that inspired suggestion. They are a genius for suggesting Octodad. And I knew once I remembered that he is a loving father and a husband and a secret octopus, <laughs> what I had to do. Oh, that was absolutely incredible. Thank <laughs> you so much, Bob. Well, now it's time for... This episode's wrestling term of the week, which is card. So in any traditional combat sport, the card is the selection of matches that takes place during a given event. It really is just the collective noun for a group of matches. Oh. Um, someone might ask what's on the WrestleMania card, or if they think all the matches sound fun, they might say, hey, that looks like a really good card. But the concept of the card is also directly related to how the wrestlers in a promotion are hierarchically organized. Mm. In sports without predetermined outcomes like boxing or MMA, establishing the hierarchy is easy. The best fighters are the ones who win the most, and the ones who win the most are usually the ones people want to see. Boxing and MMA cards are typically split into two portions, the undercard and the main event. So you have the match everybody wants to see, the match the show is typically named for, and that goes on last. And then the undercard is everything else. It's the preliminary matches, as they often call them. Sometimes you'll have what they call a double main event with two much-hyped fights at the end of the show. But for the most part, there's the main event, and then there's everything else. And a boxer or an MMA fighter is either popular enough to be in the main event, to headline the card, i.e. to be one of the people whose name is in the name of the show, or you're not. Wrestling, because it's predetermined, works a little bit differently. There's no objective metric like wins and losses to determine who gets pushed into the main event picture and who doesn't. So your place in the card is determined by other factors like how much merchandise you're selling and mm. just how much the people in charge like you. Boxing and MMA are businesses and popularity indicators like moving merch and selling tickets is definitely part of being a main eventer. But in those sports, your popularity tends to be a product of your win-loss record. Whereas in wrestling, your win-loss record is a product of your popularity. Oh, I love a tidy reversal. Boxing and MMA also organize their fighters by weight, which is 
sometimes a thing in wrestling, but <laughs> not all that often. Like Rey Mysterio has won a title called the World Heavyweight Title <gasps> twice. And he's five foot six and weighs 175 pounds. So. I want to carry Rey Mysterio in my arms. That's a life goal. <laughs> As a result of all this, wrestling is organized far more strictly around your place on the card. If you go on last, you're the main event and you're there because the promotion thinks fans will stick around to see you. Your matches are usually the longest ones on the show, and you're probably either the champion or you're in contention for the title. So, like, currently in our coverage, the people you can count on to consistently main event NXT are basically Adrian Neville, Bo Dallas, and Sami Zayn. And anyone who happens to be on loan from the main roster also. The way that things are positioned on the card doesn't necessarily mean, like, it goes from the beginning of the show to the end of the show. If you're the first match on the card, if you're the opener, that's also a good place to be because you're kind of the one who's being relied on to fire the crowd up a little bit. Mm -hmm. But that's not a main event position. That's a mid-card position. The mid-card is kind of everyone else. So within the mid-card, you've got your upper mid-card and your lower mid-card, or sometimes just called the low card. If you're in the upper mid-card, you're probably in the occasional main event, and you get to look good against the main eventers, and you usually win against everyone else. So wrestlers like Corey Graves maybe come to mind, or Leo Kruger before he was repackaged. He was kind of always in the main event, and he would always beat people who weren't main eventers, but he wouldn't often beat the people who were the actual main eventers. Mm -hmm. If you're lower mid-card, you appear regularly on the show, so you're not a jobber and you're going to beat all the jobbers, but you're going to lose to pretty much everyone else. Think guys like Camacho, or unfortunately Xavier Woods. Mm. And if you're just in the regular mid-card, you can kind of go either way. Like, you beat the lower mid-carders, you usually lose to the upper mid-carders, and at some point, you're either going to rise or fall in those ranks. So, like, think about the feud between CJ Parker and Tyler Breeze. At the time, they were both pretty solid mid-carders, but Breeze has ridden to upper mid-card status, while Parker is definitely a lower mid-carder these days. It's all about how you're presented in relation to the other wrestlers. So fans use this terminology most often to talk about where wrestlers should be on the card as opposed to where they are. Mm -hmm. So if we say a wrestler is stuck in the mid card, that means we think they should be higher because we know they could have great matches if they were given that extra time and they could become super popular if they were presented in a way that's like cool or exciting. But the company doesn't agree for whatever reason, so they're not presented that way. For example, it seems like I'm beating a dead horse at this point, but it does seem self-evident that Cesaro should be a main eventer. Yes. But so far, he cannot get past upper mid-card status, and he's rarely even that high. Partially to alleviate concerns like these and how this could affect the show, wrestling also employs the idea of mid-card championships, i.e. the Intercontinental Championships in WWE and New Japan, or like the TNT Championship in AEW, mm -hmm. which gives the wrestlers in the mid-card something to fight for and feud over without like constantly having to lose to like the other guys. But the Intercontinental Champion will still almost always lose to the World Champion because they are still an upper mid-carder at best. Now, finally, it should be noted that these hierarchies usually don't apply to the women's division, assuming a promotion has a segregated women's division or the tag team division, though there are exceptions. Um, AEW, for example, has an incredibly deep tag division that you could probably like look at and see how it's structured in the same way. And the same goes for the women's divisions in WWE and NXT. The NXT women's division historically has had, you know, main eventers, upper mid carters, lower mid carters, etc. There are exceptions to all of this that I've been talking about over the course of wrestling history. Like so many other things in wrestling, this is the base format. 
that often gets like played with and subverted. But this is how it basically works. This is how cards are generally structured. Does that make sense? It does. And it's very helpful to think about that because there is an intuitive sense to it. You can feel it kind of in how it's structured and you can feel it and how they push and don't push and how they who wins and who doesn't win. Yes. But it is helpful to have names for it and as a way of like grouping how the company perceives various wrestlers. Well, that was that episode's wrestling term of the week and come back in two weeks in our next episode for Bob's fanfic explaining cards. All right, Bob. Well, we have been going on for a while. I think it's time to wrap it up to go home, as they say, Mm -hmm. take it home. So we're going to finish things up with the cheap pop quiz. Question number one. On the next episode, Aiden English finds himself once again facing off against another wrestler who thinks they can outsing him. Oh boy. Who is this wrestler and what do they sing? Is it A, Sami Zayn, who sings a few bars of something in French? B, Mojo Raleigh, who sings his college football fight song? Uh. C, Seamus, once again taking a brief spin through NXT, who sings a pogue called The Irish Rover? Oh. D. Xavier Woods, who sings the Pokemon theme song. It's a good song. To be the very best. Like no one ever was. Turns out I do know one thing about Pokemon. <laughs> or E. Brodus Clay, who we saw a while oh. ago as one half of Tons of Funk, who delivers a freestyle rap before squashing English. They're not going to waste a main event or like on Aiden English. I don't think I don't think they would waste Sammy on him either. Okay. Um, Mojo Raleigh needs something to fucking do because he's got <laughs> nothing. And Jocks versus Nerds is a classic. They'd be right. stupid if they didn't do it. They probably didn't. But I am standing by a corkboard. I have more red yarn than I know what to do with Miles. I am okay. going to say, sure, it's Mojo Raleigh. It's Mojo Raleigh. They All better right. do something with him that's not boring, which it probably is going to be. But come on, Aiden English could fix the problem of Mojo Raleigh by giving some really fun nerds versus jocks thing. Well, regardless of whether or not that's the correct answer, Bob, I have good news for you about whether or not they're doing something with Mojo Raleigh as we will see in a moment. Okay. Question number two. The next episode also features the next chapter in the smoking hot CJ Parker versus Mojo <laughs> Raleigh feud. Ah, shit. <laughs> <laughs> According to Parker, how is Raleigh destroying the environment? Oh, boy. Is it A, he drives a gas-guzzling, fuel-inefficient truck? B, he buys a bunch of fast food, eats it all in the car, then throws the wrappers out the window? Uh. C. He runs around flailing so much that he starts huffing and puffing because he has no conditioning, thus poisoning the air with his toxic breath. Oh my god. D. He spends so much time in the gym that his sweat drips off of him and into the local water supply. (laughs) Or E. Mojo Raleigh's hype is actually a rare natural resource illegally mined from the Hiape region of Tanzania. Oh my god. I want all of these to be true. I wish they were all true. (sighs) It's A or B, I think. I'm going to say B is stupider, and I think that's what WWE would think of. I think they wouldn't think through the fact that they're like, they're pro wrestlers. They probably don't eat that much junk food, or they probably eat very, very little of it because they have to do all that freaking conditioning. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to say that because it sounds so insane. So you're saying B? Yeah, but I... 
Miles, if you wrote those other ones, I want you to know I'm very proud of you and those are all very good and you're amazing. Oh, thank you. Question number three. Finally, who gets a new theme song on the next episode that will be the music they use for the remainder of their NXT and WWE career? Is it A, Sami Zayn? B, Bailey? C, Tyler Breeze? D, Adam Rose? Or E, Sasha Banks? God, I hope it's not Sammy. I love the... I, I can't do it. But, you know, it's got that... I know what you mean. I got you. I don't want it to be Sammy. And it seems like it's way too early for Sasha to get that amazing Snoop Dogg music. Okay. So, I'm going to say Tyler Breeze. Tyler Breeze. Well, uh, come back in the next episode to see if Bob has picked up any points on this edition of the Cheap Pop Quiz. And, uh, again, they're going for 15 this time. <laughs> All right, Bob. Well, that's about all we got for this episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. As always, thank you so much for joining me. It's a pleasure. Thank you for bringing me on a journey to understand a human man from Earth in ways I never dreamt I could (laughs) or would. (laughs) He is very much a human man from Earth. I'm not sure if you knew that. Oh, I think his humanness is indisputable at this point. I feel like Bo Dallas and Octodad just have a lot in common. And so I really appreciate that our discussion of Bo and the Octodad fanfic happened on the same episode. I think they would eat lunch together in the cafeteria. I'm assuming there's a cafeteria at any of the WWE places. Of course there is. Why wouldn't there be? They bond over surreptitiously hiding their tentacles. (laughs) Yeah, it's a lot of that. It's a lot of trading tips about how to keep those contained. As always, I want to take a moment before we leave to shout out our wonderful patrons. Yeah. Uh, those of you who went over to patreon.com slash NXT wrestling fan and have agreed to support us financially. You're crazy and we love you. And, Boy, do uh, we. Bob, there's some news on that <gasps> yes. front. Do you, do you want the good news or the bad news first? Um, you know what? Let's start with the bad news. Okay, so here's the bad news, Bob. You know how a few weeks ago we expanded our tiers, so now there's a $15 level and a $20 level of support for us? Yes, I had that conversation with you. I, I remember this. Yes, that's the thing that happened. So some of our patrons who had previously won the championship by uh, signing on at the $10 level in response to our updated tiers have boosted their pledges. How and as dare a result, they? No, I'm kidding. Yeah, Thank you. Result, Thank you very much. <laughs> they will be winning the championship again. Oh, um, man. Two-time champions? Yeah, two-time champions are coming. And the first one, unfortunately, I, I, you know, I know that we just fucking managed... To get out from under the dark cloud of Watership Doom. (gasps) Oh, no. But he's champion again. There's a story there. There is a story there. We will get around to telling it eventually because Ill Omens is still a thing that's happening in the future. (laughs) Miles has been really, really busy lately, and I have been doing teaching stuff, and I do apologize. The school year is rough, and then Miles is working crazy hours. It will be out. I promise it's coming. It's not a myth. 
It's a thing that will happen. Of course, by the time it is out, we're going to have to do a bunch of like updates because now the story has completely moved on from what we recorded about that show. Uh, <laughs> but the important thing for our purposes now is that David Waters, a.k.a. Watership Doom, uh, has regained the Next Wrestling Fan Federation Championship. All is lost, Bob! You know, part of me, even though he's an evil overlord and all that, kind of respect the tenacity. Kind of into yeah, it. That's fair. However, the good news is that we have a new heroic character entering the next Wrestling Fan Federation. This individual was known on the independent scene as Chuck Rogers. Oh, that's a fun name. And Chuck, I just want you to know that what I'm about to go into isn't like 100% because your name sounds like Buck Rogers. (laughs) But it's a little bit because your name sounds like Buck Rogers. Okay, with that disclaimer out of the way. Bob, you're familiar with our tag team, Space and Time. Yes, I am. Consisting of uh, LeBlanca, the luchador with the watch. Yes. Uh, and Flash Orion, the, mm-hmm. the wrestler from outer space. Well, I'm not sure how we're getting here into the narrative, but I have a feeling that they're feuding at the moment with one of our first champions, uh, Sidriel Constellation. Mm-hmm. The Hope Punk hero, you might recall them. Oh, yeah. Uh, and... Sidriel has been kind of all alone in their fight against space and time until some help comes from an unexpected quarter, specifically from the mysterious past of Flash Orion. Oh, yes. Coming in to assist Sidriel in this battle against space and time is the Lightspeed Luchador, (gasps) Cosmica. Oh, what? That's fantastic. Cosmica is a figure from Flash Orion's past that, like, Mm. when they show up, Flash Orion's face gets all, like, a lot of complicated emotions on it, you know, when when they first arrive. Cosmica's mask is just pure black, like, no (gasps) eye holes, no nothing, just, like, black hole black. Oh, that's very compelling. And I like the idea of a hero who has a black color scheme going up against a villain like LeBlanca, who has a white color scheme. Yes. Because that shit is often conflated in the opposite direction in our society, and it's fucked up. Yes. So, uh, welcome, Chuck Rogers. Welcome, Cosmica, to the Next Wrestling Fan Federation. Thank you so much for your support. We really appreciate you. And thank you to all of our patrons, all of our listeners, everybody who helps us out however you can. And as a result of your support, we have some goodies coming your way. We sure do. We have reached our $150 goal, as mentioned, and Bob and I have officially decided on the five things that our patrons will be voting on for our next bonus episode. And the five things are, number one, by popular demand... Yes. The very first episode of NXT, by which I mean the very first episode of Game Show NXT... Oh, boy. Number two, the 2008 film The Wrestler, which was actually on our very first poll and did not get selected. But we're putting it back on again because there's been some interest in it and because I just think it's a really great movie and I'd love to watch it again. Yeah, I would like to see it and I feel like I cannot see it unless it's on the poll. Number three, the comic book story of pro wrestling. And this is a (sighs) book by Aubrey Sitterson that... I love a lot. I use it a lot in my wrestling terms and wrestling histories when it's applicable. And I think Bob would really enjoy it. Bob is really excited about the prospect of reading it. So that's number three. Number four, we had to have some kind of anime or Japanese thing on this because that's, I guess, what we do now. So Bob has selected two episodes of the anime Food Wars, which they claim is uh, in some way wrestling related. We will see. (laughs) 
It is not wrestling unrelated. I feel like you'll see the the connections. And finally, our last entry is something that neither Bob or I have seen. But it has been advertised heavily on the old episodes of NXT that we've been watching. You may have noticed if you've been following along. Our fifth option is the Scooby-Doo WrestleMania mystery. Oh, with the vocal (laughs) stylings of John Cena, The Miz, AJ Lee. Oh, it's a real smorgasbord of wrestling voice acting. Absolutely. Those are the five options on our poll. If you're a patron, you've already received the message providing you with those options, and you can vote by responding to that message, and we will come up with a bonus episode about it. We're just doing this now. We're already really close to our $175 goal, Bob, Oh boy. which is the first edition of What If Blank But Pro Wrestling, and I have already started working on that, <laughs> and uh, it's going to be a whole journey. I hope you all appreciate that, but you won't get it until you get to that, that extra $5. So tell your friends to pledge over at patreon.com slash NXT wrestling fan. Get us up to that 175. You will get the thing that I am making that I (laughs) don't feel conflicted about at all. Oh, boy. The other thing to be on the lookout for is the romance bonus episode that should be in your feed even as we speak. So check that out. That is about A Duke in Disguise, a romance novel by Cat Sebastian that Miles had a lot of good feelings about, much more positive than Ice Planet Barbarians, probably by <laughs> orders of magnitude more positive. Indeed. If you are a $5 and up patron and you're listening to this on your early access, it might not be in your feed quite yet, but it'll be coming soon. Oh, if yeah. you're uh, just a regular listener, it should already be available. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, check out our podcast on A Duke in Disguise. It's very fun. And if you want to hear more of us and also to know what it is that Edge looks like with a small, sensible man bun, (laughs) we are going to be watching Money Plane this Sunday. The Fan Faction is where we have the link, but we'll also put it on the Twitters and we'll put it in the Facebook for the next wrestling fan. We're definitely not just doing this because Tights and Fights did it a while back. Just oh, so did everyone they? knows oh. they did. Uh, this came about organically in the Smash Fiction fan faction. And uh, if you're not part of that Facebook group, I highly suggest coming over and joining us because it yeah. is the best place on the internet. It is pretty dang delightful, as are all of you. Yes. Thank you all so much once again for listening, for supporting, just for being here with us as yeah. we move through this journey. It's been tons of fun. We got so much more to get to and i'm so excited to have all of you on board thank you all so much we will see you in two weeks with a new episode of the next wrestling fan bye The Next Wrestling Fan is produced by Miles Schneiderman and Megan Bob, with logo design by Claire Mulcairin. Special thanks to Rafael Medina for our theme song, Learn Buckle. You can follow his creative work on Twitter at EarthMofo. Also thanks to Kevin McLeod for additional music and stingers, which are licensed under Creative Commons. Find his work at www.incompetech.com. We're on Twitter and Facebook as the NXT Wrestling Fan. Come talk to us. You can also follow Miles on Twitter at MJ Schneiderman and Megan Bob at Megan Bobness. The NXT Wrestling Fan is made possible thanks to our supporters on Patreon. If you'd like to help us out, go to patreon.com slash NXT Wrestling Fan and join our fantastic stable of contributors.
They're the best. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email us at nxtwrestlingfan at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. All right, Miles, what did your elf eyes hear? Nope, sorry. That's wrong. <laughs> oh, man. That's, it's a real some Friday. fucking elves. <laughs> Look, you don't know what those elves are up to. Okay.